three player and had a voice recorder. So I recorded <laughs> myself on hers just saying moist over and over about five minutes. Oh, and then wait. I labeled it like the sa- the title that was her favorite song. And she's at <laughs> work and she's like, you can put her headphones in and she's looks at me like, so I know it's playing and I'm just like moist, moist. (laughs) That's good. Yeah. I lost that job. Hey guys, Josh here. Today is part one of a conversation that Mel and I had with David Kinnean a comedian and super awesome dude from Wagga Wagga. Let Dave know that you heard the episode if you like it. Let us know, potentially, if you really liked it. And you can go to punchingsideways.com to share the show, listen to the show, and also support the show with the Buy Me A Coffee button. Okay, this is Dave Kinane. Really enjoyed this one. And we won't be jumping in at the end, so you'll hear some music that'll just fade away. Unlike the chat we had with Dave, it was all gold. Okay, let's do it. Okay, Dave Kaneen, welcome to the studio. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the check finally clearing and the pre-approved questions. I appreciate it. Uh, we're not paying you. I didn't realise oh. checks for $0 would clear, but that's good to know. <laughs> on memory co- bank in that one. It cost me more to get the bank check yeah. than was actually in the bank check. Yeah, negative 27 cents. <laughs> so this is someone that Mel and I, have wanted on for quite a while and it just, with last year being 2020, obviously it couldn't happen considering the locations of both where you live in Wagga and where we are, but it's finally happened. No, so. I'm just going to say it. He was playing hard to get. <laughs> he was a little bit, wasn't he? He made me chase you a little it was, Actually, was it hard to get or was it, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, it was more, why do you want me on there? <laughs> yeah, there's a, a little bit of that, but as also, as you said, you've been wanting on me for so long where a guy and a girl want me to come into their private studio and- and it's soundproof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that sounds completely above board. It does. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to change our pitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I think if for me, I always get in trouble because I run at people with like this level of enthusiasm and they think, no, that's not real. That can't possibly be real. But yeah, I definitely, I've, so where I saw Dave was just in the comedy realm, but listening to your comedy and sort of the way you speak, I know you're a lot smarter than what the perception of a comedian would be. So that's why you interest me. Okay. I don't know whether to be offended by that or not. <laughs> no, I don't know. Well, I think people just think that being funny is just easy. Like that's the cons- like the perception, I think, from the general public. I know like from hanging around Josh and others that there's a lot more work that goes into it than just being funny. Yeah, and, and there's like people certainly, and, and everyone will have these people in their life that are that are funny at the office or funny at the family barbecue, but then putting that into um, you know into an act, doing it on stage is is a completely different thing. And you know, for for me, I've always felt like I was that person, but then making the step and, and getting up on stage is 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 such a big thing. You know, it's um, the first thing I wanted to do was just get on stage and tell a joke. I didn't necessarily want to get a laugh. I just wanted to tell a joke on stage. You want to rip the Band-Aid off. Exactly. And, yeah. and everything since then is just step by step by step. So how long ago was that initial step? So it would have been uh, probably mid-2018. A bit hard to calculate because I think like everyone else last year, 
I just don't add that. Time distortion. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. So <laughs> uh, so mid-2018, a friend of mine, uh, CJ Schmulmar, who's also a, a comedian uh, and a good friend with, uh, with Dane Simpson, mm-hmm. uh, who runs the Riverina Comedy Club, uh, said, look, I really think you should come down to the Riverina Comedy Club, have a look at it. Dane does workshops where you can get up and perhaps start doing some material. And when myself and CJ work together, and so I said, right, well, I'll just I'll just start writing down some ideas in on the off chance that I actually go up on stage at some time. And so mid two thousand eighteen, started writing, put together maybe eight to ten short jokes. Uh, you know, I, I'm still not a comedian that that writes long jokes. That's something I'm trying to work on. Went down to the workshop. Got up on stage, performed them, and it was it was simple as that. So, my first actual time on stage though was not in in Wagga. My first time on stage was here in Albury, uh, over at uh, what's it called uh, Bended Elbow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, uh, local legend here, Jade Fitzgerald, hooked me up with a spot one night, and uh, went from there. Do you feel like so? For me, I prefer to be doing new things away from anyone I know. Was it easier? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I did bring a, a, a cartload of friends down with me. Made it clear that you need to laugh. But yeah, it is a case of, and I think the, I don't want to say verbatim, but it was, I'll go and bomb down in Albury. Yeah, get that out of the way. Yeah, <laughs> so no one knows about it, and then yeah, come up to Walgreens and hopefully get a laugh. But the night was actually it was fantastic, um, and met a lot of comedians that I'm still friends with today that are doing amazing things. If you like us, like I like us, get onto punchingsideways.com, give us a bit of a likesy, have a bit of an exploration around and maybe buy us a coffee. So before we talk about the feeling of that first night, because I've tried to describe how I felt after I first did it when I was probably, in retrospect, completely horrible, I want to ask one thing going back. Mel, I think you've done a lot of MC work as opposed to a lot of the other people around here. You probably has, in my opinion, you seem to be one of the people that does that and you're very, very good at that. I think the night that Mel saw you, you were doing just a straight set and just the way that that works, you get the chance to be funnier when you're doing just material, I guess. Yeah, just absolutely, telling, absolutely. Just telling jokes. Yeah, so, I, think, I think so. And you crushed it that night. <laughs> Thanks. And Mel said to me, I lo- he was really funny and I think I want to talk to him, really with no context on you beyond that you were a person on the stage. Yeah, yeah well, I think... Like out of all the people that night, you were the person that stood out to her that she mentioned to me. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, it is weird, like doing MC gigs. I'm still, you know, when I say I've done a lot of it and you say I've done a lot of it, comparatively to, to other people, uh, you know, they would do more gigs. Well, comparatively and, to me, I've done none. Yeah. Yeah. For well, example. And, and <laughs> so I, far, I always... Yeah. So I'm looking at you know, professional comedians that'll do more gigs in a month than I've done in a lifetime. Uh, but it is something It is something different. I find that um, you, you need to be on the whole night. Uh, there's very little chance uh, because something can go wrong. For example, last night in, in Wagga, the mic went dead. Now, even though I'm not the, the person who manages the tech, as far as the audience know, that's on me to fix that. Yeah. So I've got to be there. So like, I'm... I'm <laughs> You say, I'm a nervous peer. I need to have about 12 before I get on stage. So if I'm emceeing, that sort of upsets that rhythm. <laughs> I don't get that opportunity to go and get that done, perform, and then the rest of the night's mine. So it, you really have that that block where you need to need to be on. But, but I do find I get to 
get to work with the audience more over time. I can come back to things that we mentioned when I was on stage 15 minutes before. But when you've only got that five-minute set, I, uh, I find that it's just your best jokes, put them out there, make them laugh, uh, and get off the stage making them think, oh, no, come back. I want to hear more of that. Yeah. Um, and emceeing is so, so totally different. As an MC, you're not allowed to have that dead space. Like that's you have to fill that. So with the mic not working, that's just like very, yeah. very like. Just in case Dave doesn't realise, Mel basically does MC work for a job. Okay, yeah, like does event hosting, and she's really good at. <laughs> oh, thank you, yeah. Josh. But I had I was hosting trivia at Beer Deluxe, where you're where the Riverina Comedy Club is now, and all. My like, I have no idea about tech, so I'm just learning that now because I need to. Josh is usually the one that presses the buttons and make things, makes my sexy wet voice and all that work. Apparently, with all your <laughs> I've never heard it put that way. <laughs> well, I don't think Mel had till I said it. <laughs> and how was your reaction? To I was that? just like, what? But everything went dead. I had no mic and everything. I was doing like a video clue, and it was Kenny Rogers and. Dolly Parton, and I was just like, oh, I'm going to have to sing this. So I just was yelling like Islands in the Stream, like trying to just keep the whole thing going. And I was like, oh, my life. When I think sexy wet voice, I think Kenny Rogers, I tell you that Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's definitely not sexy wet yeah. voice off mic. <laughs> so there's with the MC stuff, because I think that's probably even broader than just doing comedy people and see yeah. all types of different things. Yeah. It's not just with when you're doing jokes like what I am doing at the moment, I know my set starts then and it ends then and I can pour everything that I've got into that and it's, you know, a sausage and a potato. Whereas when you're emceeing, you can end up with anything on that plate. The plate could be broken. You might end up with a fork that's a, a spoon. Like it sounds, it feels like more stuff can fall into your lap than what you're really prepared for. Yeah, that, that's it's an interesting way of putting it, of putting it rather. But you are sausage spot on. Sausage and a potato yeah. is just a weird analogy. Well, I just thought, a basic oh, meal. Like it's just, it's not, it's self-contained. It's one. Have you eaten today? I'm pretty hungry. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, but no, you're correct because uh, you know when you're the performer, you're just concerned about your five minutes, and then then you're done. What happens after that is, is is none of your concern. But, uh, you know, if someone goes on stage and does bomb, I've got to have something there to try and to bring them back up. How do I address that? Do I – sometimes the best thing to do it is, is if they're relatively new, just address it head on. Hey, that's that that's his third time on stage. How good was that? He's really putting in an effort, you know, and people are, are a bit more forgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you, you have to be prepared for, for absolutely everything. You know, if the, if the audience you, – you're – I'll say in control of the audience, but it's your responsibility. You know, if people are being a bit too rowdy or, um, you know, interacting too much when, when you know, the, the performer's not probably wanting that, yes, they can deal with it while they're on stage a little bit, but for the most part, I've got to clean that up. That audience education, it's a big, yeah. big point where you've got people being disrespecting. You, you can't fully, like, this is a... Don't fully just tell them they're shit people. Yeah. But in this very clever, passive like way just point out to everyone that they might be using their phone and playing music or something like that and go, that, oh. that there's an expectation. Yeah. Like it's a 50-50 thing and they have to lift yeah. their side of that weight as yeah, well. No. Like, yeah, absolutely. Da- we're talking about this a lot, but there is one part about being an MC for a comedy show that I would like to know. Do you prepare just little short jokes, like little punchy ones that you've just got in the backlog? Because I imagine like – for me, whenever I'm emceeing anything, like I've got notes, but they're just like prompts 
really. And but it's very different if you're expected to be funny and the MC. So how does that work? Yeah, I, I usually I usually do. Uh, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm a little bit different. I don't like to. I know some MCs will like to do 15 minutes of their own material straight yep. up. That's fine. That works for them. Uh, I find I, I like to keep it a little bit shorter at the start. Bring the the guys and girls up on stage that they're there to see. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will have in between uh, acts. So, for example, usually at the Riverina Comedy Club, and I guess on a lot of other nights as well, they might have uh, we have five locals usually. Mm-hmm. And so you want to break that up a little bit. Probably after the second one or the third one, uh, you probably want to get back up and maybe do another little minute here or there or or, or whatever. But a lot of the time, I will have a little uh, a line ready. Or I'm thinking on stage if uh, if Josh is up on stage and, and mentions a particular topic that the, you can see the crowd is like eating that up, going that's yeah. that's just so crazy. I don't need to think. He's given me what I need. Um, yeah. I'll just I'll just reference that, uh, yeah. and and then and then you know the audience is sort of yeah that that was funny. Like and and I'm sort of getting them to agree. Hey, that was that was pretty funny, wasn't it? You know, but I guess it depends on on the situation. You know, you've always got to have something in your back pocket for for a heckler. Because there's, there, as you said, there are audience members who don't realise they're perhaps, you know, being a little bit disrespectful. I like to be upfront with that uh, when I'm emceeing and just reminding the audience, you know, phones off or silent. Don't talk to the performers. You know, that's, you know, have a chat to me if you want to after the show. We'll come and have a chat to you. Because some people think that they've paid their money and, and you know, they get to, to, to have an input. And, and they do, but that's just not, you know, how you do it. And... I think a lot of the time when when audience uh, when performers and this is something I like to do we do we do crowd work we go to the audience for certain things but once you you open that door then the, the floodgates just open some people think oh I can talk the whole show now when when in actuality that's not helping at all <laughs> yeah so that's fascinating and it makes me think that we generally well at least in Australian society grow up the thing that we see most live is generally music absolutely and yeah. You go there generally knowing what you're about to experience on some level because you're probably familiar with the songs if you like the band. Yeah, so and, and you're screaming it, out, play this, play yeah, that. Yeah. It's hundreds or thousands of individual connections between one person, their emotions, and that artist. So they're all going to act differently and some people are going to sing loud and some aren't and some are going to crowd surf and some aren't. Comedy is kind of more of a collective thing. Well, that's the way it feels to me that everyone kind of has to be on the same page because you're about to experience something Potentially for the first time. Correct, and 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 yeah, there'll be things that happen uh, in the room, you know. For example, tonight here in Albury, or last night in Wagga, that only happen there, and only that audience will experience that. So, they, you know, my, someone uh, last month in Wagga, for example, we had a fire alarm went off five minutes into the show, and I gather that doesn't happen too often. And it's you know, we as an audience, as one audience, get to experience that. And, you know, you make fun of it. You, I referenced it. I emceed the show last night in Wagga and, and referenced it because it's – why not? It's something that, you know, people remember and it's quite silly. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, you, as you said, the music's a little bit different because, you know, you, you know what to expect. This song doesn't mean anything to me, but I know the next one is going to be awesome. Uh, you know, unless you're going and seeing your, your Seinfelds or, you know, your, your Jim Jeffries guys or Jim Gaffigan where you know what they're generally talking about. You have no idea what's coming out of my mouth or your mouth in the next five minutes. Well, I don't either yeah. know what's coming out of my mouth. And so, you're still employed. Yeah. Yeah. So just can we talk about the the comedy, I guess for the lack of a term, buzz. That might be a bit of a lame term for it, but it is a – I've done a lot of performing in my life 
most of it music related. And I, I love doing that. But the buzz that I had from the first open mic that I did was completely different. And I reckon I would have got 1.5 laughs in a couple of minutes. Like one really decent laugh where I could. Is that me laughing? No, nah, this is, a, this oh, is actually before Pre me. Yeah. Oh. I, I bombed that second gig big time that you <laughs> saw me at. It was a very different feeling. And I just remember laying awake for hours thinking out of all that, those gigs that I played, big festival shows and whatever else, I never felt like this. Do you do you have a show that you remember just getting a strong buzz out of? Like, I think I've found something I really, this is what I need to be doing. Well, I think before I answer that, when you're doing music, are you doing your own music or yeah. are you doing covers? I've done both, but yeah. mostly the the festival shows were all original. Yeah, okay. Like the big shows were all original. Because that's what it is for me. So the, the first, I think my first professional show, I nervous as hell, as I'm sure anyone would be, uh, got up on stage and just went, <sighs> and went yeah. and within what felt not the like, nervous way no that no that um, could have been a nervous <laughs> way that noise was yeah borderline i'll buy you a new couch it's all right um but uh it was it was over and done with you know i, I think it was seven minutes which i went over time but like you know it felt like it was it was five seconds and i remember getting off stage thinking i've got to do this again and i remember pestering uh dane simpson i said i'm I'm going to be your biggest nightmare for the next nine months. He said, "Was that?" I said, "I'm, I'm just going to pest you about every single thing. This comedy thing, I love it." He said, "You've been bitten, haven't you? You got the bug." And I said, "Yeah, mate. It's, it, it, I can't, I can't describe it. It's, um, people say, why do you do it? That's why you do it. It's, uh, it's because that's why I asked you about whether you're doing cover music or not. Because when you're making them laugh, you made them laugh. Yeah. Not some other guy's joke or girl's joke." It's on you, and and you might think you got one point five laughs, but that's what I was saying earlier about it being incremental. That you want to get on stage and tell a joke, then I want to get on stage and tell someone tell a joke, and someone laughs at it. So you you've already ticked that box. So you go all right. Well, what worked with that, and and go from there. So you're well on the way. I think if I had been writing the lyrics and being the vocalist, because that's normally the strongest connection you'll have playing music as if you happen to be the singer with people in the audience I mean like really feeling the buzz yeah. you feel the lyricist and you're singing and that's you're hearing people sing back and it's it's probably too like music's a bit more of a, an emotional connection like it's a you hear a joke a one liner a throwaway and it's just an instant laugh it's a reaction it's a, yeah explosion yeah, yeah but you know a lot of a lot of your favorite songs will be connections you've formed over time listening to that so in so many different versions, in so many different venues, uh, or it has a special connection with an event in your life and that's how it's formed, I would think very rarely you'd probably listen to a song and go, have the same sort of emotional reaction the first time you hear it. You might think, oh, it's a good song. I don't mind that. But it'll take, in my mind, a lot longer for you to to get there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how I experience music that I love. Yeah. and, and A lot I, of the bands I love most were not the bands that I loved when I first heard them. Yeah, right. It had to be something life experience to go along with it or I heard it in the right context, whereas maybe I heard it in the wrong context to begin with. Yeah, like and that's I'm, yeah, that's the same. Like I, I, I'll be honest, I don't listen to a great deal of, of new music. Uh, I listen to a lot of the same music I, I listened to when I, when I grew up. So. Right, let's hear it. Give us your list. Top five. Uh, Springsteen. Springsteen. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, fill in the rest with Springsteen. Uh, the things like that, the Eagles, um, yeah, 
I don't want to say showing. So let's just clarify for people who don't know you. You're not those bands aren't of your vintage in terms of I'm you're not contemporaneous age wise. You're quite a bit younger than them. So did you I'm thirty eight. Yeah, so, so you we're the same age. Yeah. So I grew up, you know, sitting in the back seat of the car on the way to school or getting picked up from school, listening to that, listening to That's what I'm looking for. Born so in the USA. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh and you know, Neil Diamond. Yeah. Uh, which well, where did he start in the sixties? But, you know, just listened to that. And it's those things. So I'm listening to the song and yeah, the song's a bloody good song, but it reminds me of that time as well. I listen to the Foo Fighters and that sort of thing. Love the Foo Fighters, but I don't, I've got, I've got three kids and I just don't feel like a lot of the stuff that's around today that they'll be listening to when, when they're my age. No. Um, except for your stuff, of course, which is just gold. <laughs> well, no one listened to that when it was. Yeah. <laughs> so... I, I actually do like country music. Uh, get your laughs in now, and we'll edit them out later. But howdy, uh, howdy, yeah. Howdy, howdy. Um, I I do. Uh, I think it's it's weird. Country music is is something that you know. I think you could put an album on of ten songs and get ten completely different songs yeah. that, that elicit ten completely different emotions. And it's I don't know. It, it, it's just. There's a lot more new country music that I will listen to and form that connection with uh, a lot quickly, a lot quicker. Sorry. Uh, so, for example, uh, Luke Combs mm-hmm. um, went and saw him a couple of years ago. Open for Darius Rucker, who's those who don't know, lead singer of Hootie and the Blowfish. So, went and saw him open for him, and just completely blown away. Never heard of this guy before, but then a the year later, he's the guy that's touring and headlining, and it's just you know he's the sort of guy that writes songs that uh, that. It's easy for you to listen to and go, yeah, I want to listen to that a hundred times. So what sort of stuff is this person singing about that connected with you? Well, you know, country songs, he'll talk first of all about, you know, women, that sort of thing, the relationships, but there's a slightly comedic way, uh, you know, talking about the the mother-in-law, that sort of thing. Um, Yeah. 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 (laughs) But um, uh, one of his songs, When It Rains, It Pours, you know, he talks about, uh, I don't have to see my ex-future mother-in-law anymore. Just talking about the good things that happens to him. You know, he wins 100 bucks on a, on a scratchy, buys a couple of cases of beer. Those sort of simple things that... Um, that Relatability. Would, exactly right. You've hit it. So just style-wise, because I'm a bit of a music nerd, I yeah. guess, still more so listening to it these days and playing. Is this alt country or is this straight mainstream country? No, where, straight straight. When mid- people think of the sound of country, is this person in that? Yeah, like he hasn't really got a huge, you know, like twang sort of, you know, not old school, what you would say that would come up on a jukebox in a bar in the 80s sort of thing. Very upbeat, quite a lot of awesome guitar solos that wouldn't be out of place in a you know, in a, in a rock and roll song. Yeah. But just, again, totally different songs in all within the space of an hour. A lot of talk about drinking and that sort of thing and beer and everything. But yep. yeah. I feel like that's the relatability thing is the same way with comedy. It's like the storytelling part. I think country music has an element of storytelling around it the same way a lot of comedy sort of evolves and sort of brings you in, whereas maybe other music genres are just telling you stuff. You're absolutely right about the story thing because I've been – I was watching this guitar reaction channel, which I've fallen into these weird YouTube loops of people watching other people play songs and then never having heard them before, reacting from the point of view of – One's a classical composer and the other guy's a drummer from a really formerly of a massive, huge metal band. So these are people that have done it and they're watching music for the first time. 
and I've discovered three or four 20, 21 year old American singers, like basically solo country male singers that are singing songs about coal mines yeah, okay. and mining. And from like, they sound a hundred years old, but completely fresh because they're singing about their grandfather and how their dad tried to avoid doing that and ended up doing it and how they don't have now any prospects beyond doing the same thing. And it's become almost like ingrained into their family lineage that they're mining coal. So when I say that, it sounds like, oh, that's a weird genre, but these songs are absolutely kicking my ass. Like I'm hearing them, they're so emotionally loaded. It's pretty incredible. I feel like you should film yourself watching yourself, watching them watch that other song. <laughs> what do you think? A reaction yeah. of a reaction. Yeah. <laughs> I probably should. <laughs> you should do that because you're just there going, oh, wow. 